Hello and welcome to Retrieving the Social Sciences, a production of the Center for Social Science Scholarship. I'm your host, Ian Anson, Associate Professor of Political Science here at UMBC. On today's show, as always, we'll be hearing from UMBC faculty, students, visiting speakers, and community partners about the social science research they've been performing in recent times. Qualitative, quantitative, applied, empirical, normative, on Retrieving the Social Sciences, we bring the best of UMBC's social science community to you. It's another summertime episode of Retrieving the Social Sciences, and even as I consider it a great privilege and a source of enjoyment to bring you some of UMBC's most interesting research week in and week out, you know, I can't help but find myself thinking about getting a little vacation time. The heat, humidity of a Maryland summer always seems to cry out for one thing and one thing only in my mind, some time on the water. All throughout our chilly winters, I fantasize about swimming, boating, fishing, enjoying the best of our beaches, our estuaries, and of course, the Chesapeake Bay. Today's featured researcher spends a lot of time thinking about these topics, but not just because he enjoys the water like I do. Dr. Yusuke Kuwayama is an assistant professor in the UMBC School of Public Policy and a fellow at Resources for the Future in Washington, D.C. Not only that, but Dr. Kuwayama also currently serves as director of the Consortium for the Valuation of Applications Benefits Linked with Earth Science, or VALUABLES. You know, we love acronyms here at UMBC, and that is a really good one. Anyway, Dr. Kuwayama's research focuses on the economics of water resource management. And in our recent conversation, Dr. Kuwayama discusses a recent study on the subject that was published in the prestigious Journal of Public Economics in 2022. It's a fascinating study, and I'm excited to bring you the interview right now. All right. Joining me today is Dr. Yusuke Kuwayama of the School of Public Policy at UMBC. Dr. Kuwayama, thank you so much for agreeing to be on the podcast today. Uh, thanks for having me, Ian. It's great to be here. Awesome. So my first question to you is really just to think broadly about the topic of this research that we're discussing today. Uh, I'm interested in what got you interested in the topic of water quality. Why do we care about this? Yeah. Um, so sort of, yeah, big picture. Um, the reason why I became interested in studying water quality from, from an economist perspective. I'm trained uh, as an economist and uh, study uh, use that frame to study a variety of environmental issues. But uh, water quality is, is one of them, and specifically it's water quality uh, in rivers, streams, lakes, uh, coastal areas, so what we call ambient water quality. Uh, so not so much drinking water quality, which is sort of a separate set of issues regulated by a separate set of policies, um, yeah, mostly the kind of water quality that we care about when we go uh, for water-based recreation, right? Uh, kayaking or swimming or boating. Um, if we go to the beach um, uh, or for fishing, right? Recreational fishing, we care about the, the water quality at the water body where we are undertaking that fishing. Um, so the reason why I got interested in, in that topic uh, has to go back to my liberal arts education as mm -hmm. a, uh, a graduate uh, at Amherst College, where I, I was studying to become an econ major, um, but I took a geology class uh, because uh, under these uh, liberal arts curricula, you're encouraged to kind of take a diverse set of uh, topics. 
I happen to have a geology professor who spent quite a bit of time uh, talking about uh, water quality and uh, teaching us the the hydrology uh, and the uh, pollution aspects of of water. Um, and so that really got me fascinated, sort of a fairly early stage on on water quality issues. And more recently, I had this opportunity to work with uh, two great collaborators, uh, Sheila Olmsted from the LBJ uh, School of Public Policy at UT Austin, and Jamang Zeng, who is a postdoc currently at the University of Illinois in the Business School, uh, to take a, uh, again, an economic framework to understanding the uh, water quality, and in particular, the benefits of water quality, right? The kinds of benefits that I was just talking about earlier. Um, we value water quality because uh, it is nice to swim, boat, fish in clean water. I, I really appreciate, first of all, that plug for a broad-based liberal arts education. That's a, a really important thing, I think. And and uh, I hope students who are listening are um, you know, taking to heart that that's a really nice way to get some some new interests and to develop your uh, sort of uh, you know, broad uh, uh, you know, research research uh, interests and approaches. Um, and I also want to mention, you know, so we had um, Dr. Maria Bernardo del Carpio on the podcast actually a few right. episodes ago who, uh, who was talking about water. Uh, but again, as you mentioned, in a very different sense, right? We had um, Dr. Uh, Bernardo del Carpio's research is focused more on the provision of water that we might use to drink and bathe in and that that kind right. of thing. But of course, as you're saying, right, water can be used for a variety of different purposes. And it's kind of nice to think that, um, you know, here during this uh, the summer months, right, <laughs> we can think a little thematically about all the fun things that we might do recreationally with water, um, like boating and swimming and and fishing, right? Um, mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, as we start thinking about this article, obviously, that, that you've uh, written with these two fantastic co-authors, uh, I wanted to think a little bit um, about this this uh, term that sort of appears early in the paper, this hedonic property model, right? Um, so, mm-hmm. so could you break this down for us, for our listeners? What is this, this model? And how does this research go beyond um, what those uh, previous papers that may have uh, asserted a, that kind of model. Um, how, do, how does this, how does this t- take us beyond that, um, that original model? Yeah, I think that's uh, yeah, a fundamental question um, that uh, motivates our paper. So uh, hedonic analysis is, broadly speaking, uh, a tool that economists use to try to decompose the contributors of value to something, a good, a service, um, something that we enjoy like water quality. Um, so these things have different attributes that mm-hmm. we uh, enjoy, right, and value. Uh, and hedonic analysis is a methodology that helps us quantitatively decompose what at these attributes independently contribute to the total value of these things. And so in the context of uh, valuing water quality, uh, but also other environmental amenities such as air quality or access to parks, um, access to good views, uh, these things that we value about improved uh, environmental conditions, we use hedonic analysis often by looking at the prices of homes. Mm. So as homes uh, properties uh, get sold, uh, the transaction prices, right? The, the sale prices are recorded, um, usually in you know tax, uh, tax assessing um, agencies of various jurisdictions. And um, so that those data are there. And we can also have uh, information about what uh, those homes are like, right? So how many bedrooms they have, what's the square footage, what's the lot size, 
and we know, right, uh, especially those of us who have, who have purchased a home before, that you know all of these things relate directly to the sale price of a home, right? But the theory behind the use of hedonic analysis in placing a value on water quality is that uh, it, to the extent that the location of that home also provides access to uh, water-based recreation um, and, and water-based amenities, that the quality of the water is actually also captured in the value of the home and the, the sale price of a home. And the idea being that if you have two homes that are exactly the same, right, the same number of bedrooms, the same square footage, but one is close to a lake that is kind of dirty and full of algae and, you know, right. not really pleasant to, you know, actually recreate in or, you know, be near. Uh, and another home, again, exact same home, same attributes, except that it is located in a much next to a much cleaner water body. The idea behind hedonic analysis is that we should see a higher sale price for that home and near the clear, cleaner water body. Um, and in, over uh, over time, economists have shown that that is indeed the case uh, by conducting many hedonic analyses that uh, home prices do capture the value of improved water quality near these homes. That's really interesting. And, you know, I obviously this being a UMBC podcast, I'm, I'm reminded a little bit of, you know, the areas near the Inner Harbor in Baltimore City, right? Um, mm -hmm. Back in the day, um, you know, the, the harbor was filthy, right? It was full of mm -hmm. industrial runoff and pollutants. And you think about a neighborhood like Canton, for example, um, that was right there near the port, um, you know, you had almost waterfront access there, but those home values were very low because nobody wanted to live near the harbor because it smelled terrible. Um, and now, you know, we can imagine that the property values in those areas have, you know, maybe uh, increased tenfold relative to what they were in the 1950s or so, or 19, you know, 70s. Um, so yeah, I, I think that's that's a really interesting, um, you know, theory as applied, you know, perhaps even to the the kinds of uh, home prices that we might see in certain areas of Baltimore City. Um, but obviously, in this paper, you're taking us beyond that uh, that uh, theory, and we're saying that there's something else. There's something else going on in terms of um, water quality and uh, how people appraise right uh, various mm -hmm. places to live. Right. So tell us a little bit more about that. Right. So the key innovation in this paper, uh, which um, was put forth by uh, another paper um, that was published maybe uh, a little over 10 years ago, uh, but it only sort of put forth the, this innovation in theory and hadn't tested mm -hmm. uh, the theory uh, using data on um, property prices and observed changes in water quality near these properties. Um, the innovation uh, is that uh, in the past, when economists have conducted hedonic analyses to quantify the value of improved water quality, they looked at water quality in water bodies very close to the homes for which they had sales data. Okay, so you, typically one kilometer radius, for example, around a property. Uh, so, you know, specifically what the, these economists do is to you know, find a property for which we know its sale price, draw a one kilometer radius circle around it, and uh, calculate the average water quality in water bodies within that circle, right? And, and say, okay, this is the uh, water quality that's associated with this home and any fluctuations in the water quality associated with this home, we hope to be able to see fluctuations uh, in, the, in the home price. And that is sort of how we, we back out the con contribution of water quality to the price of the home and therefore the value that people place um, on water quality, right? Now, the, the sort of the theory that we were working with was that um, people who purchase homes 
probably don't only value water quality in these water bodies that are very close to their homes, right? And in particular, in some regions, um, including sort of the general Chesapeake Bay area, that uh, sure, people do, you know, would prefer to have water bodies that are very clean right near their home. Uh, but when thinking specifically about recreation, people can travel a, a fair distance from their home in order to uh, enjoy a day at the beach or a, a, day, a fishing day, right? Uh, a kayaking day. And so just looking at water quality within these one kilometer you know, circles around the properties may not capture sort of the broader regional benefits of improved water quality, right? So to kind of go back to your example, you know, if you live uh, in, in, in parts of Baltimore City, right, that are close to water bodies, um, sure, those water bodies will, the quality of the water in those water bodies will be important to you, uh, and you'll have a value for them. But you probably, you know, hop in your car and drive, you know, an hour and away to uh, right. a beach along, along the bay or, you know, fishing um, in other parts of the bay, right? Um, and so, uh, and, and it's, you know, especially in regions like Ch Chesapeake Bay, where we've had significant improvements in water quality regionally over right. time, right? You would expect that some of those recreational benefits, the added recreational benefits are captured in home prices as well. Um, but it's a little trickier to capture those benefits, right? Because now we can't just draw these one kilometer circles around the properties and average the water quality changes within those circles. We actually need to understand where people go in order to uh, recreate on water bodies, right? Where do they go for their fishing trips? Where do they go for their day at the beach? The way we you know, handle that in this paper is to uh, look at a completely different uh, source of data, right? So um, in addition to the property sales data and the water quality data near the, these property sales, we uh, examine data on uh, where people go. Uh, and we focus particularly on fishing trips. I, I was going to uh, ask you a little bit to... more about this, uh, this, this survey instrument, right? Because I think, mm -hmm. you know, from your description of, of this, uh, this innovation and this theory, you really get the appreciation for why maybe, you know, papers in the past wrote about this and said, hey, we need to think about this angle. And yet, it was not something that people were able to bring into the empirical data analysis world because, you know, creating a methodology to appropriately measure these things is really hard. But what you're describing here is a super interesting survey instrument that, that maybe gets us uh, closer to the answer, right? And so, um, so your team was able to conduct surveys at fishing um, places where people fish. Is that correct? Or Tell well, we actually this. used, uh, so yeah, two caveats about that. The first <laughs> is we used an existing survey, uh, has been around for a while. It mm -hmm. is administered by the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, a federal agency. Um, it's a recreational angler survey that uh, is, uh, has been conducted over many years. Um, and so in this data set, we were actually able to observe where anglers decide to recreate and where they come from. Uh, over a, a longer period of time. So, so we didn't conduct the survey ourselves. It was an existing survey, and, and the survey has been used by previous researchers to, to understand uh, uh, recreational behavior of individuals. Uh, the other caveat is that um, economists have uh, developed a fairly large literature looking at these kinds of uh, survey-based um, data on where people decide to um, uh, recreate. And, and go uh, for recreational fishing trips in particular, um, and use that information also to understand the value of water quality. Okay, so um, the theory behind 
uh, this, these kinds of analyses, um, and they're typically referred to as recreational demand studies. They, uh, this information of where the anglers come from is really important because the idea is that if there is a great place to go fishing, people are going to come from farther away in order to go fishing there. Right. Right. Uh, and you know, one of the key attributes of a great fishing day is that the, the water is very clean. So, you know, that's sort of the, the, the basis behind these kinds of recreational demand studies. And, and again, the, where the value of the water quality improvement comes from is trying to understand how much or more are people willing to give up in order to go to a uh, fishing site with improved water quality, right? And what they are giving up is uh, time. It takes more time to get to a location that's farther away. Uh, but we have, you know, we are able to observe that people are willing to give up this additional time in order to go to a, a cleaner fishing site, right. um, uh, gas as well. Right. You, you know, especially these days, <laughs> um, uh, you, you incur more costs in gas and wear and tear on your vehicle and so on in order to access these, um, sites. And so there are the costs to travel, uh, that you sort of trade off between, uh, so those travel costs and the improved, you know, value, the higher value that you place, uh, in fishing at these improved, uh, water quality sites. Um, and so that's a, a separate methodology. And again, it's been used by economists in the past, again, to place, uh, a value in water quality, but those sets of studies never tied that understanding of recreational behavior to property prices. So the innovation behind the theory that we kind of rely on to do the data-driven study in this in this article that uh, Sheila Jamang and I worked on was um, to uh, look at properties, again, and their sale prices, but also tie these properties to the recreational behavior of people who live in the general area of these properties. So then we are able to capture not only the value of improved water quality, in water bodies that are very close to homes, but also improvements in water qualities in fishing sites that are typically visited by residents uh, in the vicinity of those homes. Wow! So it's it's a far more sophisticated kind of you know spatial analysis in that sense, in that it's capturing not just right the physical physically proximate stuff, but the places where people in a community might talk to one another and say, "Oh, hey, you know, it's it's fairly easy to go from here to there." Um, you know, you have you have this this uh, uh, this fishing area within you know reasonable, I guess, driving distance, right, or what people might consider to be reasonable driving distance. Um, and so that's another perk of living in this area. So go ahead and um, you know increase the value or the price of your home when you sell it by a little bit, I guess. Right. Um, yeah. In the sense um, that this is an attractive place for the, for the recreational amenities that are not just right next to you, but in in the area, right? Yeah. So, so yeah, the bottom line is we're. Uh, we, we've implemented a strategy in, in this um, research to be able to quantify uh, different dimensions of right. the benefits of water quality that we can observe being capitalized into the value of homes. And again, if you think about, you know, significant improvements kind of at the regional level in water quality in places mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, Chesapeake Bay, but also um, our study site in this article, Tampa Bay, you would expect that housing markets will react uh, to a certain extent to you know these significant improvements in water quality. Right. It's just a better place to live because it's a better place to uh, have water-based recreation. 
Yeah. And I mean, this has a policy dimension too, in, in some sense, right? I mean, if I were to go to my local, you know, city council or something, I might be able to point to this and say, look, you know, prioritize the, you know, regional uh, water quality, because this is going to have a material benefit on, you know, for everyone potentially mm-hmm. um, in, in an area, right? Does that, does that seem right. like a reasonable <laughs> conclusion to draw from this? Yeah. I, yeah, I think you, you know, hit the nail on the head there and, you know, uh, it's the reason why we are really excited about uh, the results from this research is that it is highly policy relevant. Um, and, you know, like economists, uh, a, a good chunk of what they do is to try to place dollar values on these kinds of things that are very hard to value, like right. improvements in water quality. Um, and, and and the reason why is not not just for the sake of put, attaching dollar values to things, but um, there are there policy implications, right? And uh, it is, in many cases, very costly to um, implement these regional uh, improvements in water quality. You have to retrofit uh, wastewater treatment plants. Uh, you might have to subsidize reductions in um, pollution from agricultural operations. Um, you know, all, these things cost money, right? And so uh, when it comes to understanding, you know, whether those costs were you know, worth it for society, it's good to have monetized estimates of the benefits of having uh, incurred those costs, right? Um, and, and, and then that is what this paper does. And, you know, by capturing uh, more than one dimension of the societal benefits of water quality, we, we do find that the benefits are, are larger than uh, just purely hedonic uh, studies that don't account for uh, explicitly account for recreational behavior um, in water bodies that are farther away. We do we do find larger uh, benefit estimates, and so we are hoping that this can contribute to uh, the body of evidence that uh, increasingly shows that um, these investments in improved ambient water quality were were worth it, were cost effective. Yeah, well, it sounds like the study itself was well worth it. And uh, I wanted to ask you very briefly, so um, what's next for for this topic? What, what are you going to be doing in the future, if anything, on the subjects of water quality? Yeah, so um, we hope to uh, be able to get some additional funding in order to uh, replicate the study in other regions. So this published article, uh, the data uh, were sourced from the Tampa Bay area, so we were looking at... Um, property sales in, in the three counties in the Tampa Bay region uh, and recreational behavior of uh, people who live in that region. Um, we expect uh, the approach to be uh, illuminating for other uh, regions as well, but you know, perhaps in different ways, right? So uh, it's one of the alternative regions we're hoping to study is Long Island Sound. And so different kinds of you know, housing markets, different sure. kinds of water quality benefits, right? Uh, a different history to to the benefits of water quality there. Um, and then we're also hoping to look at Puget Sound uh, on the West Coast, uh, and then uh, sort of the, the Galveston Bay area uh, in Texas. So, uh, you know, going from Florida, right, to three completely different regions and, and try to see if this method can illuminate um, and uh, lead to uh, more generalizable lessons about the benefits of water quality improvements across the country. 
Wow, that's really exciting. And good luck to you as you continue to work on this this project and expand your findings, hopefully, to this diverse set of uh, of, of settings and, and places. Um, before we let you go, Dr. Kuyama, uh, first of all, thank you so much for agreeing to take the time to talk to us today. Um, I have one last question for you that I always ask um, of everyone who comes on Retrieving the Social Sciences, and that is if you have any words of advice, uh, very briefly, for uh, any students out there who are hoping to go pro one day in the social sciences. Oh, yeah, that's a great question. Uh, my advice would be something that kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about the, the benefits of a liberal arts education. Um, I think uh, some of the most meaningful um, and innovative research that we can do in the social sciences now is uh, interdisciplinary. And so, you know, Typically, as a student, you will focus on, you know, you'll be in a particular department and a particular program that's driven by a particular set of disciplines, sets of tools and methodologies um, and theories. Um, but I think it's, there's a lot of really interesting work to be done uh, that, you know, takes that body of knowledge that you're being trained in uh, and applying it to uh, an issue, a problem, a question, a, you know, a puzzle that uh, a different discipline is trying to grapple with. And uh, yeah, and so I would encourage students to, to read outside their comfort zone a bit. Um, or, or these days, there's a lot more that you can do than read, or you can listen to podcasts. You can, <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, watch uh, you know, videos on YouTube and things like that. Um, but uh, yeah, I think A, there's, it'll be easier to find a margin along which you can contribute as a social scientist to existing body of knowledge. Um, and then, you know, if, if you can find something that uh, is, you know, again, outside your discipline, but you can be passionate about, it's also, you know, gives you some momentum and some uh, energy to pursue the work, which is you know, also important in, in, in success as a social scientist. Great advice, a fascinating study. Dr. Koyama, thank you again so much for, for being here and for uh, describing your research a little bit with us today. Thanks for having me, Ian. Campus Connections. Campus Connections. Campus Connections. Campus Connections. Campus Connections. Now it's time for Campus Connection, a part of the podcast where once again, we connect today's feature to the work of others on UMBC's campus. Today, our production assistant, Sophia, has chosen a very relevant piece that proposes a new wave in water research. See what I did there? Anyway, what have you got for us today, Sophia? In today's featured segment, Dr. Kuyama mentioned that nearby water quality and access to waterfront recreation can have an effect on the value of real estate. Coincidentally, the research of Dr. Alan Yeagley, the chair of UMBC's Geography and Environmental Systems Department, and the subject of this week's installment of Campus Connections elaborates on just that. Dr. Yeakley's 2019 paper, Urban Stream Restoration Projects, Do Project Phase, Distance, and Type Affect Nearby Property Sales, examines over 200 restoration projects that took place in the Johnson Creek watershed in Oregon between 1990 and 2014. The study's goal was to answer the titular question, did these projects affect the selling prices of nearby homes? As well as determining how the results varied based on different factors, including distance from the project site and the types of restorations being performed. The study found that stormwater, floodplain, and revegetation projects had a positive impact on nearby prices, 
while wetland projects had a primarily negative impact. The paper attributed this to a dominant damaged goods effect, or the negative perception of wetlands in general. The research of Dr. Yeekley and Dr. Kuyama shows that there is more to a home's value than the plot it was built on, and that there's more to water quality than simply what's under the surface. Awesome work as always, Sophia, and thanks for highlighting such an intriguing study. Until next time, stay cool, stay hydrated, and I hope you get a chance to spend some quality time recreating with loved ones. Oh, and even while you're boating or fishing or surfing a wave, don't forget to keep questioning. Retrieving the Social Sciences is a production of the UMBC Center for Social Science Scholarship. Our director is Dr. Christine Mallinson. Our associate director is Dr. Felipe Filomeno. And our production assistant is Sofia Posidente. Our theme music was composed and recorded by Dewan Moreland. Find out more about CS3 at socialscience.umbc.edu. And make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube, where you can find full video recordings of recent UMBC events. Until next time, keep questioning.